listening to the Sermons Podcast for Ottawa Baptist Church. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. Back in February, I told the story of what happened when I was invited to preach at an international church in Tianjin in China. I arrived with a message ready to give a week before the service, but during that week I became increasingly uneasy about that message. So much so that I prepared another one. But I was still uncertain. Prayed with the family, arrived at the church, prayed with the elders, but I arrived in the service, sitting in the congregation, I was being introduced from the front. I had two messages in my folder and I didn't know which one to give. In desperation, I did the sensible thing and I turned to my wife (laughs) and said, what shall I do? And she said, get the congregation to take a vote. (laughs) Crazy. You don't do that, do you? But I took a vote and the people chose between an Old and New Testament message and I gave the New Testament message and approved for the later events that that was the right one. But after I gave that message in February here, several people asked me, well, what about the other one? Would you like to give that? Well, I said yes to Mark that I would speak this weekend. In fact, I've been thinking about that message, the Old Testament one, ever since I spoke here in February. But I had a few problems. I went to find that message and I couldn't find it. Somewhere between Kaiwaka, where we were living, and Red Beach, where I now live, I've lost a thousand sermons. How do you lose a thousand sermons? Well, I don't know. If I did know, I would have found it. (laughs) But don't worry, I've still got another 2,000. (laughs) No worries, it's all on the computer. It's all backed up. Now, that was three or four computers back. And somehow it's got lost in the wrong cloud. So back to square one. It's been a real struggle. How to find in this passage what the Lord wants me to say. Until one night as I was in bed ready to sleep. A very quiet and gentle but very clear voice came to me. Let the scripture speak for itself. While I was struggling away with this, wanting to prepare... A screen popped up on my, uh, a little um, box popped up on my computer screen and invited me just to try AI. So I thought, well, that sounds fun. Typed in, write me a message on 2 Samuel chapter 24. It did it within 60 seconds. It was well written, it was theologically sound and with valid conclusions. Here it is. And here it was. Sorry for those who wanted to hear a 60-second sermon. (laughs) 
Let the scripture speak for itself. So at the end today, I'll leave you with three statements to reflect on. And then let God convict each of us what he wants to tell us. 2 Samuel chapter 24. It's a long chapter and we've got a short time. So the story. Right at the end of David's career and life, he's too old to fight anymore. If we turn the next page in the Bible, he's in the equivalent of a royal palace rest home, being looked after 24-7. And by the end of the chapter, Solomon has chosen as king and about to take up the throne. But here at the start of the chapter, it says this. Again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And he incited David against them, saying, Go and take a census of Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab and the army commanders with him, Go throughout the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and enroll the fighting men, so that I may know how many there are. Now let's leave aside the difficult problem of whether God caused David to sin. It basically means that God allowed David, of his own free will, to choose what he was going to do. David used that freedom to call a census. Joab, his commander, said, that's a bad idea. He didn't want to do it, but... David persisted, carried on, ordered him to do it. Go count all the people so that I may know how many fighting men there are. Go count my army. Nearly 10 months later, the answer came back. 1.3 million men able to hold a sword and fight out of all of Israel and Judah. Now let's get that in perspective. The New Zealand army is about 6,500, including the reservists, and that's on a good day. But this army of David's was 200 times the size of the New Zealand army. It's actually twice the size of the Israeli army today. Quite an army, so was David delighted and finding this out? When he learned how much protection Israel had? When he could say how well he had done? Instead it says, David was conscience-stricken after he had counted the fighting men. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, O Lord, I beg you, Take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. I have sinned. I have done a very foolish thing. Now what had he done? What was so bad about counting the army? David was an old man. This is nearly the last act of David. He just wanted to look back at the end of his life see what he had achieved, and see that the nation was secure from surrounding enemies. But it wasn't his army. It was God's army. 
It wasn't his nation. It belonged to God. He didn't become king by himself. God put him there. He was a steward of all God had done. He was caretaker, servant, manager of God's property. And he went off and he counted it as though it were his own. It's a bit like a son claiming his dad's brand new Tesla is his own. Or maybe that son, same son telling his parents, I've got it, I can handle it now, I can handle life on my own, I don't need you. Trespassing on God's territory, failure of trust, pride, same as Adam and Eve. We can live this life on our own without God now. Same as the Tower of Babel. We can reach heaven on our own. And us, maybe we look at our bank statement and it's looking good. Maybe we've paid off the mortgage on the house now. Many of you here would like that to be the truth. But if we've paid off the mortgage, then in Auckland that's worth at least a million got a great family, got a good job, we've got a boat for recreation, we've got lots of friends, or maybe now we're retired, we're living on super. We just look around a small flat, there's all the precious things there, all the things that bring back memories. And we've worked very hard for all that. I have this God, it's up to me now, to look after it, to protect it, and use it to get me through the rest of my life. But if we're true children of God, then we see all this as God's servants, not as owners, as stewards, not as CEOs. Belief that we can do the whole of life on our own is pride and it's lack of trust. It's pride in what we've achieved and what we own. And we're very protective of that. We need to look after it to keep it. But maybe this word is for some of you. That is God's stuff. It's not our stuff. David had a terrible night. Tossing and turning, he couldn't sleep. Sound a bit familiar? Ever burned in embarrassment or shame at some stupid thing we've said or done and we can't get it out of our heads and we can't go back and undo it. But for David, of course, in the morning, David had a prophet knocking at the door. Who really wants a prophet before breakfast? just about to sip that first sweet taste of coffee and the prophet arrives. <laughs> the word of the Lord had come to Gad, the prophet, David seer. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I'm giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. Shall there come upon you three years of famine in your land? Or three months of fleeing before your enemies while they pursue you? 
or three days of plague in your land. Now then, think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. Three years famine, three months fleeing before your enemies, and three days of plague. What a choice. David didn't have three years left to get through a famine. David was too old now to, to be on the run for three months before his enemies. And even the choice of the plague didn't sound great. David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into the hands of men. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord. It caused enough trouble already. He counted God's army as his own. He said, let's see how many men I have. He'd taken trust away from God and had trusted what he'd done himself. But now in the sort of move that made him the greatest king that Israel ever had, he fell back into the hands of God. When bad things happen, when we're in a mess, when we face something that overwhelms us, it's a great move to fall into the hands of God. Doesn't mean we give up on doctors. Doesn't mean we cancel all our insurances or close all our bank accounts. What it means is that we do all of these things within the framework of trusting God and we're willing to fall into his hands when we're overwhelmed. In fact, the best way is to trust God right from the start so that we are in his hands and we can't fall. Well, moving on, it's a long chapter. The plague came. 70,000 people died. That put a hole in the army. And then the plague paused at the threshing floor of Arona the Jebusites. And Gad told David to go and build an altar there on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite and there offer a sacrifice to the Lord. David went. The threshing floor was probably on the top of the slopes of Mount Moriah. Threshing floor right at the top and Arona saw him coming. And he came and bowed down before the king and he heard that David wanted to buy the threshing floor. And Arona said, Let my lord the king take whatever pleases him and offer it up. Here are oxen. Here are threshing sledges for, and ox yokes for wood. Take it all. But the king replied to Arona, No. I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered prayer in behalf of the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. 
a touch of history on Mount Moriah. Some think this mount was where Abraham brought Isaac and bound him, ready to sacrifice him. Some think this was possibly the city where this mysterious King Melchizedek lived. Shortly, this threshing floor that David bought became the first temple built by Solomon, exactly on that spot. That was destroyed. And later when the exiles came back from Babylon, they built another one. That lasted through to Herod and he expanded, made it stronger, bigger. And then this temple was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. If you go to Jerusalem today and visit the famous Wailing Wall, you're up on Mount Moriah where all this happened. You're wandering around what was probably Orona's farm. You probably can't get to the exact place of the threshing floor because right on the top of the mount is the Muslim temple, the Dome of the Rock. And next to it, the Muslim temple, Al-Aqsa, which is the third holiest place in Islam. It's believed to be the place where Muhammad went in a dream and touched down in Israel. And for a time, the Muslims played, prayed towards Israel, but now they pray towards Mecca. Ironic, isn't it? This threshing floor so soaked in history is now inaccessible to the Jews and the Christians for whom this mount means so much. But the word I want to leave you from this bit of the passage is this. This is one of the great words of all of Scripture. No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. I will not offer sacrifices to the Lord of that which costs me nothing. We don't have to offer sacrifices, burnt offerings like that anymore to the Lord. Jesus has been the ultimate sacrifice. That's taken care of. But as we offer our lives back to him in gratitude and love, can we say we are offering sacrifices that are costly, that we don't offer sacrifices that cost us nothing? The Christian life has costs. It includes carrying our cross. It includes following wherever Christ wants us to go. It means loving our neighbour as Jesus did to all he encountered. None of this is easy. None of this is cheap. Much of it involves sacrifice and cost and time and energy and commitment. As someone said, where there is true, true strong love for Jesus, it will cost us something. Love is the costliest of all undertakings. And someone else, he who has a religion that costs him nothing has a religion that is worth nothing. David trespassed on God's territory and counted God's people as his own. He moved from manager to master, from servant to self-employed, 
if we truly follow Christ, then we consider all that we have and all that we are as God's. And we move in that territory as his stewards and his servants. Second part of what I said was that in the crisis David faced with these three terrible choices, he knew the only thing he could do was to fall into the hands of the living God. And if we are struggling with that, which, to which we find no answer, when we are stuck, when we are out of alternatives, there is no better move than to fall into the hands of the living God. The third thing, to follow Christ is to radically change direction, to go his way, the narrow way, the hard way, and that involves cost. To pay lip service to this Christ, to offer that which costs us nothing, isn't following. It's just giving a half-hearted sort of wave from the sidelines of faith. We often talk, for example, of an all-black or a silver fern putting their body on the line for the team and for the country. And to follow Christ means to put our body, our mind, our spirit on the line for Jesus Christ. And that's a sacrifice that costs. So these three statements from 2 Samuel chapter 24, I want to leave for us to consider so they can speak for themselves and touch us wherever they need to touch. O oh Lord, may your spirit move in us so that we know how we respond to this. Touch our lives where our lives need to be touched. Direct our lives where they need to be directed. Lift our lives to where they need to be. And use our lives so that in this coming week and for the whole of our lives, we reflect Jesus as we follow him, no matter what the cost. We come in his name. Amen. Thanks for checking out our sermons podcast today. For more information on Ottawa Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ottawabaptist.com.